0: Welcome to Here She Stands, the podcast where Lutheran women from across Australia come together as a community, sharing stories and testifying to God's goodness. My name is Lexi, and I'm a mama of four girls and the wife of a first-year pastoral student.
1: And I'm Sonia, a Lutheran pastor's wife and mum of two kiddos. Together we have a desire to see each woman hold firm to the Word of God and say, Here I stand, I can do no other. Today we are interviewing our very own Lexi. I'm very excited to interview Lexi today as she has such an interesting story and I've only heard snippets of it and I'm very excited to get to know her better. And everyone else gets to listen in on our chat today, so (laughs) welcome everyone. I just wanted to say before we get in today that in our episodes and especially today's episode, we talk about theological topics and we mention various things found in the Bible. Both Lexi and I have done a fair bit of study on these topics and we've discussed them at length with our pastors and our husbands. But if there's anything that you find challenging or confusing, we really encourage you to talk to your pastor and really delve into God's word for yourselves. Anyways, let's get into it. Hello, Lexi. So excited to have you in the guest seat. Hello. It feels a bit strange being in the guest seat, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. So let's get into the questions. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Where did you grow up? Who was in your family? What kind of childhood did you have?
0: Yeah, so I currently live in Tasmania, but I didn't grow up here. I grew up in central Queensland in a mining town called Emerald. And I remember the Lutheran church there. I didn't go to the church or ever visit that church, but I remember that it's near the chiropractor. And driving past it, growing up, I thought, oh, I wonder what that's all about. <laughs> Little did I know. Anyway, yes, I grew up in Emerald and I was from a very big family. So I'm the second eldest of seven kids. My dad was a mechanic and my mum was a school teacher, but she retired from teaching when she became a mother and she homeschooled us. So that was one of the reasons why she quit teaching was to simply be at home, a stay-at-home mum, and to homeschool us. I had a very busy childhood. That was because just growing up in a big family, you're always surrounded by people. And being the eldest daughter, in many ways, I was like a second mum to my younger siblings. By the time I was 10, I had five younger siblings. So a very busy life. And we constantly had people coming over. So my mum would often host lots of get-togethers and parties and Bible studies and lots of different things going on at our place. I did grow up in a Christian family and our faith was expressed in a couple of different ways. So we often attended church most Sundays we went to church. And over the years, we ended up going to a number of different churches, Baptist, charismatic. I think at one point we even went to an open brethren church. So we also had a lot of faith included in our homeschooling. Some of the curriculum that we used was Christian. We had our devotions, our Bible studies as part of our homeschooling. And we also had a lot of conversations about faith in the home. And some of my mum's statements and some of the things that she has said have really stuck with me. And to this day, I still think about them and say them to other people. So that's been a really big blessing.
1: Yeah. It's nice to have you as a fellow homeschooler. It does sound very busy though in your family. And after you finished homeschooling, did you study anything? Did you work?
0: Yes. So when I was 17, I got a job as a receptionist at a Christian school in Emerald and it was also a traineeship. So I studied administration as well. At that time, I was also working as a private piano teacher. So I would have students come to my house after work and I would then have, you know, teach students. When I was about 19, I actually studied A diploma and an advanced diploma in Christian counseling and family therapy. But that is something that I never ended up pursuing as an occupation. But the study in itself was really beneficial for me and helped me work out a few things in my own life. And I thought I was going to be a counselor, but that never happened. Mm. And to be honest, I don't have really what it takes to be a Christian therapist. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but every study is
1: worth it. It's never wasted time, is it? That's right. So you enjoy music dual
0: now? I do enjoy music. At the moment, my music mainly consists of teaching my daughters. So I teach them piano, I teach them music theory, and they also have violin lessons as well. I don't teach them violin, but as the music mum, I sit down with them and help them practice every day so yes the music is still very much a big part of my life I also play piano at church and I really enjoy that to be honest the only other what you could call hobby would really be this podcast (laughs) I really enjoy doing this podcast and it's just a beautiful creative outlet and to be honest, with having a family, homeschooling, doing this podcast, I don't really have a lot of time for any other interests or hobbies.
1: Yeah. Mom, life is busy. Yeah. Your girls are so blessed to have you teaching
0: the music. One of the greatest gifts my parents gave me was piano lessons as a child, because not only can I worship God with my music, but I can also teach my children how to play piano. Yeah. And that's really special.
1: Wonderful. So how did you and your husband meet? We met
0: at jiu-jitsu. So when I first moved to Tazi, the kid next door, he went to jiu-jitsu and he invited my brothers. So my brothers started going and then I started going because I thought, "Hey, a bit of self-defense could be fun." Mm-hmm. That's where I met Taz, and most people don't know this, but he actually has a black belt in jiu-jitsu. <laughs> And we incorporated jujitsu into our wedding dance. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So we did our beautiful waltz and we did a few other things. And then right at the end, he threw a punch at me and then I blocked. And then I redirected his arm and twisted it and threw him over my hip, all in my wedding dress. (laughs) That sounds great. So just something fun we decided to do. And um, we've been married eight and a half years. And from mm-hmm. our beautiful marriage, we have our four beautiful daughters, ages seven, six, four, and my babies turning one next month.
1: Wow. So how old were you when you met Taz?
0: I was 20 and then we married when I was 21.
1: Nice.
0: From dating, we started dating and then 35 days later we got engaged.
1: Wow, well done. Very
0: fast. (laughs) And looking back, we both say it is only by God's grace and mercy that our marriage has survived Mm, because there was so much that we did not know about each other before Mm. we got married, which we will get into when we talk about faith.
1: Well, speaking of, neither of you grew up in the Lutheran Church? No. No. So how did you end up there? Well, I'll give you
0: the skeleton, then we'll talk a little bit more about the details when we dig into some of the theological stuff. When we first got married, um, neither of us was really attending church at that time, and we had very different beliefs on some things, um, which was one of the reasons why I don't think we were really attending church, just trying to work through some of our theological differences, which we hadn't really worked through before we got married. One of the reasons why Taz didn't want to go to church was because he just didn't find the teaching heavy enough or deep enough, and he just really wanted the pastor to explain the scriptures. One of the reasons why I didn't really want to go to church was simply because I, in many ways, I was very anti-organized religion, and I just saw home church As a more spiritual way of doing things. And so, this desire to go to a church was not really there. However, after a couple of years of marriage, I started to get this desire to attend church again. And I knew that Taz wasn't really interested. So, I simply just prayed and I said, Lord, if it is your will for us to go to church, then please change Tasman's heart. And one day, a couple of weeks later, when we were driving home from town, Taz said to me, I think I want to start going back to church again. And we decided to go to the little Pentecostal church that's just down the road from us. It's the church that he used to go to when he was a child. And we went there and the people there were beautiful. They were lovely. And we were quickly um, welcomed into this church and Taz went on the preaching roster and both of us were put on the communion roster. And just before we left, I was actually asked if I wanted to go on the preaching roster as well. Mm. But the family environment that was there, the contemporary worship that was there and the opportunities to serve in the church, even though that was all there, it wasn't enough. And in early 2020, my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law came down to Tassie. They live in in Inverell. And just catching up with them, we ended up having a lot of theological conversations. They are Presbyterian. And it was through these conversations that I started to realize that some of the stuff that I believed was not quite right. And it wasn't they were saying, Lexi, you are wrong. This is what the scripture says. There were just a few things they said. And then I would go to scripture and look it up and I would do my own study and realize that, oh, wow, what they're saying is true. And what I believe is actually a twisting of the scriptures. And it was also through them that we were introduced to some YouTube channels and we watched a few of these youtube channels and some of them were really unpacking the scriptures bringing up you know the verses on the screen bringing up the greek and it was really helpful and i thought that these people these youtubers were reformed mm-hmm. and it wasn't until a little bit later that we found out that they were lutheran and that kind of put the lutheran church on our radar and when covid hit and the shutdowns came our little Pentecostal church, they went to fortnightly services simply because the cleaning and the preparation was too much for our small congregation. And so they decided to go fortnightly. And I said to Taz, well, we're not going to church every week. Maybe now would be a good time to actually go out and visit other churches and see how they do things, something different. And we discussed a few churches and Taz wasn't really interested. And then I said, well, what about the Lutheran church? Because these YouTubers are Lutheran and they seem pretty legitimate why don't we try a Lutheran church and see what that is about? And we decided to go and just visit. We weren't planning on leaving our church. We just decided to visit the Lutheran church. Mm. And we went once and then we went again the next fortnight and we just kept going. And it got to the point where we thought we're becoming Lutheran. (laughs) So it broke our hearts, but we actually sat down with our pastor and his wife and we said, look, our beliefs have changed very much and we love our church family here, but we have to go. We have to leave. And there were tears and it was so hard because I love those people. They had done nothing wrong to us. They were so welcoming. They were so supportive of us. It was Down to doctrine and it was down to theology. So, yeah, we went to the Lutheran church and we kept going and we had our daughters baptized in November 2021. And that was the day that we also became members of the Lutheran church. And I remember, I remember feeling a bit intimidated when the pastor at the time walked in wearing his vestment. <laughs> I remember feeling a bit intimidated and thinking, wow, what's this all about? And those feelings disappeared very quickly.
1: Yeah. I really like your commitment to your church memberships and how seriously you took being in the church and being part of the church rather than just jumping around and going wherever you thought the teaching was best. But you really took the church family. Life very seriously by the sounds of it. I think that's we, beautiful.
0: We tried to, yeah. Mm. Because church is not just a service on a Sunday.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you grew up in a few different churches and you had quite a journey sort of coming into the Lutheran church and you clearly found that you resonated with the theology of the Lutheran church and so much so that you are now calling yourselves Lutheran. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the things, some of the spiritual beliefs and practices that you used to really cling to and do that you now think, oh, I wouldn't do that anymore or it's not for you anymore? Yeah.
0: Well, we don't have all day. So I've narrowed it down to about three different ones. A couple of months ago, I sat down and wrote down most of the beliefs that had changed. And I think I was up to 22 or 23 big things. Um, We don't have time for that today, no. (laughs) No. So I've picked three and a lot of the different beliefs came under these three.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So the first one is how I viewed faith, what faith was and how faith applied to my life. And I just wanted to start this by reading John chapter 6 verses 26 to 27. And this happened after Jesus fed the 5,000. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Now, after Jesus fed the 5,000, the people were seeking him out. This is his response to them seeking him out. And he says to them, Not because you saw signs. You didn't seek me because you saw signs. And these signs were the evidence and the proof that Jesus was the Messiah and the Savior. So they weren't seeking him out because he was the Messiah. They were seeking him and looking for him because. He fed them. He fed them loaves and they were wanting more. And this was what my faith in Christ was like. My understanding of faith before I became a Lutheran was, if I could put it in a nutshell, believing that Jesus will give you something and believing so hard that you have no doubt. Mm -hmm. So I had faith that Jesus would heal me when I was sick. So I would say, Jesus is going to heal me. I would pray that Jesus would heal me and I would not doubt. So a lot of positive affirmations came into that. I would say things like, I am healed. Even if I was sick in bed, those positive affirmations were proving that I had strong faith. It was like I had to prove to Jesus that I was worth healing. And it wasn't just healing. It could have been anything deliverance. It could have been financial stability, material possessions. It was my needs. Whatever needs I had, I went to Jesus and basically demanded that he would give me these things. And I had to believe and not doubt that he would give me these things. One of the things that I remember saying was Jesus didn't die just to give us eternal life. And looking back, I feel saddened because in this passage in John 6, Jesus talks about not working for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And I was so focused on what was in this life, this earthly life, whether it was healing or financial stability or whatever. Basically, I was following Jesus for what I could get from him, not for him himself. and. I remember thinking, yep, Jesus dying on the cross, it was good and it's got me into heaven. But the real deep stuff, the real deep faith is naming and claiming and believing without doubt. And when I heard prayers of faithful Christians saying, Lord, if it is your will, please show mercy or please do this or please help us with this, I would look upon that and think that's not real faith. No wonder you're not getting healed. No wonder you're still struggling financially if you just name it and claim it and believe that Jesus will give it to you, then you will have it. It will be yours. And I was actually thinking about it this morning as I prepared for this interview that my so-called faith was actually fueled by a lack of faith, by unbelief. Because when you look at our creed and you go through the Apostles' Creed, You see right at the end that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. That is all through scripture. We are encouraged to think of these things when we are going through trials and tribulations. Paul talks about this so much, encourage each other with looking towards the eternal life. But this idea that I had of, if you want this now, you can claim it now. It's yours now. My focus was on the earthly and the temporal. And I demanded healing, but it was on a lack of faith because the healing, if we don't get it here on this earth, we're going to have perfect bodies in the resurrection. There will be no sickness when Christ comes back. Mm. There'll be none of that. Why was I not looking at the eternal of what Christ had done and he was coming back? I was constantly looking at the here and now, and I do not believe that you cannot ask Jesus for healing. You can. He is our God. He is our Father, and we go to him, and we can ask bold prayers, um, the the type of prayers where we, we can ask him with audacity. But to demand that of him and to expect him to give it to us in the way that we expect and want, I no longer hold to that view. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong with praying bold prayers and to ask him for things, but it has to be on the foundation of true faith. Yeah. So if the world crumbles and if you do not get the healing that you were looking for, then you can say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. You can hold on to that and you have a rock solid foundation and you know that Jesus is going to come back and it will all be well. These these temporary sufferings, it's only temporary. It's only a blip on the radar. And then we have all eternity with Christ in our new beautiful bodies.
1: Yes. And you can believe that he has healed you from your sinful nature and freed you from that. And that is really what matters.
0: (laughs) Yes. I was sitting down doing some crafts with my children the other day and my eldest daughter, she said to me, I don't want to die. It just came out of the blue. And we started talking about the eternal kingdom and about what Jesus had done for us. And she said to me, mommy, when Jesus comes back and we have our new resurrected bodies, will I sin anymore? And I said, no, you won't sin anymore. You won't even struggle with it. And the look of relief on her face was so beautiful. And at seven years old, she's looking forward to the day when it will no longer be an issue. Yeah, And I need to keep encouraging her to look forward to that day. So yes, focus on the eternal and not on the temporal. Though the temporal things are important, in the Lord's prayer, we pray for our daily bread. Though the temporal things are important to demand of God and expect him to simply give us whatever we name and claim. Yeah, I do not believe in that anymore.
1: And at the same time, reject (laughs) what he's done to cleanse us and save us for eternal life.
0: That's- yes, that's right. Reconciliation with God, the peace that he bought with his blood, the peace with God. Yes, I, I remember not even really thinking about that because I was too focused on mm. claiming healings. Yep. The second big thing that I remember believing that I no longer hold to was a lot to do with spiritual warfare. I remember thinking and believing that everything was a demon. Mm. I remember that if somebody was acting legalistic, I would say, oh, that person has the spirit of legalism. So I had spirits for everything. So if someone was proud and arrogant, they had the spirit of pride. If someone acted very religious, they had the spirit of religion. There was also the spirit of Jezebel, which I'm not 100% sure what that was supposed to be. But the spirit of Jezebel apparently was one of the worst spirits to have. Unlike The spirit of legalism was even worse. The Pharisaical spirit was probably the worst spirit that you wanted to have. And I'm not even sure exactly what that spirit was supposed to be about. But everything was a demon to me. And original sin was downplayed because it was a demon Mm -hmm. that was doing this to you. If you felt angry. Passing the blame a little bit. Yes. So for me, there was very little confession. There was very little repentance. But there was a lot of binding and loosing, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which leads me on to the next point in spiritual warfare was I had no idea what binding and loosing really was. So the term binding and loosing comes from Matthew 16 and also Matthew 18, Where it says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So, my understanding of this was you had authority as a believer to bind the bad, to render useless the bad, such as Satan. So, I would bind Satan. I bound demons, I bound sickness, misfortune. Trauma, bitterness, all of that. A lot of my faith was binding things that I thought I could bind. Mm. And then I would loose things. So my prayers and my words, I believed, would bring forth that which was good health, healing, prosperity, freedom, all of that. I believed that my binding and loosing released God's supernatural power and that it brought these things to pass. And it wasn't until I started to look into some of these beliefs that I realized that this whole concept of binding and loosing in this sense, in many ways, is very similar to the law of attraction that Mm -hmm. you find in new age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I found out that binding and loosing was actually to do with the authority that God gives the church to withhold forgiveness and to forgive the sins of people, it took a lot of ammunition out of my spiritual warfare gun, to be honest. <laughs> I was like, wow, if I can't bind and loose, then what exactly is spiritual warfare? Right, yeah. Yeah. So just learning the correct interpretation of binding and loosing, it actually has nothing to do with demons, nothing to do with spiritual warfare, but about forgiving sin yeah. or not forgiving sin. Yeah, so that's been a very big change. And I could go more and more into spiritual warfare, but that could go that could go on all day. The last point is the prophetic. I had a lot of misconceptions about the prophetic. I believed that God regularly spoke to me in dreams and visions and feelings and words of wisdom and knowledge. And I just want to jump in here and say that this interview is not Going to be a debate on the spiritual gifts, on, you know, continuationism versus cessationism. I'm simply going to say what I believed that was wrong. So I believed that I regularly heard from God. I was actually seen as a little bit of a prophetic voice in our church, and I shared mm. prophetic words at church. Yeah. And looking back now, I think, oh my goodness, how could I have said that stuff? Some of it was just appalling and it was so unbiblical and it had, it was all about feelings and emotions and yeah, it was a mess. And I remembered you, I remember I actually had a prophet's dictionary that I would use. So Mm -hmm. if I had a dream or if I believed that I had a vision, I would run to this dictionary and I would look up what does this mean? So if I had a dream about a tree, I would look up this tree in the dictionary to see what this meant. Yeah, if you have a dream about water or colour or numbers or anything like that, I would run to this dictionary to Mm. find out what is God trying to tell me. I've never heard of that before. Well, they're very popular in some charismatic groups. Yeah, Things like this are also very popular in the New Age. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and... Because I was often running to divine revelation, I was never really running to scripture to find the answers. So when I read scripture and I came across something that was confusing, I would sit and I would pray and ask, Lord, show me what this means. And then I would wait for him to speak. And whenever what I thought was him spoke, that was my doctrine. That was what I believed. I didn't actually put in the hard work of trying to understand scripture. Yeah. So scripture was downplayed in favor of divine revelation. I honestly thought at times, I believed this, that serious study of scripture could actually jeopardize your relationship with God. Wow. Because it would make you legalistic. Okay. Yep. And I disconnected Jesus from his word. I remember saying things like, Jesus is not the Bible. So there was this disconnection. And a result of this was that I struggled with scripture. I struggled with the hard parts of scripture. I didn't do my study. I didn't devote myself to God's word to try and understand what it said. I simply just ran to divine revelation. It felt more spiritual doing it that Mm -hmm. way. In many ways, it's a lot easier than putting the hard work into Bible study, but I struggled with Scripture, especially Paul. Wow, I really struggled with him, and I did not like reading Paul.
1: No, I feel like a lot of people don't.
0: <laughs> yeah, I did not like reading Paul at all. And because I was not understanding my Bible, I was having a crisis every time I heard a criticism against Christianity, because I could not defend Christianity. yeah. yeah. I didn't really know my Bible that well.
1: Do you feel like there was deep down a lot of doubt um, if things didn't match up with what you read in the Bible or revelations didn't match up? I don't know if that happened or not, but um, did you ever feel doubt or that maybe God was not always reliable
0: or did you always feel very certain in your beliefs? Oh, there was doubt. There was so much doubt and confusion. But doubt and confusion I saw as unspiritual. So that in many ways drove me into my spiritual beliefs even more. Mm. But I remember thinking, in a moment of raw transparency, I remember thinking, why did you not send writers who could actually clearly, sorry, writers of scripture? Why did you not choose men who could communicate clearly? And here's the thing, they can, the writers can. They were chosen by the Holy Spirit and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to write the scriptures. It wasn't the Bible that was the problem, it was me. And a lot of it had to do with me just not wanting to accept what the Bible actually said on some stuff.
1: Yeah.
0: But I had this false idea in my mind of what truth was and I had this false idea of who Jesus was. And so My divine revelations always lined up with what I thought and what I wanted, but, yep, it created doubt and it did create confusion. So what has replaced
1: these things now? What takes away that doubt now and what gives you that complete comfort and just knowing what the truth is without
0: a shadow of a doubt now? Probably the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk a little bit about what happened to me in a little bit. But when I repented of these beliefs and I asked the Lord for mercy, there was a complete change in me. And reading scripture after that was so different. When I repented, I was starving for scripture. I was absolutely starving. I stopped watching movies, not because I was legalistic and they were waste of time and unholy but because I didn't want to watch movies anymore. I was so starving for scripture. So every night I would be reading and studying and the scriptures just came alive. Things started to make sense. Things that I had ignored or even despised were now such treasures to me. And I think it was the Holy Spirit that brought about that change and also getting into apologetics. I had no desire really to study apologetics and being able to give historical evidence as to why Christianity is true and why the Bible is reliable, Mm -hmm. because in some ways I connected that with legalism. Mm -hmm. So what was
1: there a specific moment that brought about the sort of repentance and realizing that you were sort of following the wrong path?
0: Yes. So this is where it starts to get a little bit dark. So for our listeners, I will be talking about some demonic experiences that I have had. If you've got little children around and you don't want them hearing what I'm going to say, then you may want to turn it off and listen to it later. So my faith started to morph and I started to become very Gnostic. Gnosticism is basically super spirituality. It's looking for that secret knowledge and finding the hidden meanings and very mystical. And I became very super, super spiritual. And I considered myself more spiritual than my husband. And so I often hid thoughts from him, some of the thoughts that I was having. And i also hid some of the practices that I was participating in. I hit that all from him. My Gnosticism made me very anti-people because they were not spiritual enough for me. It made me very anti-organized religion and it made me very proud because I considered myself so spiritual. And it was at this point that I started to participate in practices outlined in Deuteronomy chapter 18, which I will read. So this was given as the Israelites were coming into the promised land. When you come into the land that Yahweh your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination, which I did, or tells fortunes, or interprets omens, which I did, or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to Yahweh. And because of these abominations, Yahweh your God is driving them out before you. So part of the occultic practices that I got involved in was numerology, which is using numbers to determine the future. So for example, if I saw numbers everywhere, I would then look up what is the meaning of these numbers? What is God telling me? And to be honest, saying it, it doesn't seem that serious, but when you actually dig into what it is, it is very serious. So at one point, I would see the number 11 everywhere. And so I looked up, what does 11 mean? And I believed that's how God was communicating with me. Didn't go to scripture, didn't go to the Bible to hear what God had to say. I went to my washing machine. Hmm. Because the number 11 would constantly turn up on my washing machine. Every time I walked into the laundry, there was 11 or a multiple of 11 on my washing machine timer, which is pretty ridiculous considering that 11 or a multiple of 11 occurs once every 10 minutes. <laughs> so I really started to get into numerology and looking into the meaning of numbers and then figuring out okay, this is what is going to happen in my future. This is what's happening. I also got involved in omen reading, which is using objects to determine your future. So, if I saw snow here, or if I saw, you know, a bird, or it could be anything, I would then have to find out, well, what is the spiritual meaning of those things? And so I was using objects to predict my future. Mm-hmm. And I fully believed that this was God communicating to me fully believed it. And what's really sad is that I believed that this was God because from what I had read and from what I had seen, this was prophetic. This was what it meant to walk in the prophetic. It had been sold to me as prophecy, as prophetic, but it wasn't. It's an occultic practice. It is an abominable practice according to Deuteronomy 18. And now I want to talk about some of the natural outcomes of these beliefs and practices. I will say this, I will not describe what I saw simply because scripture, as far as I can see, doesn't describe how demons appear when they manifest to people. And I don't want to bring any awe or wonder to what I experienced and what I saw. We need to be inspired and we need to be in wonder of God. Not of the demonic. So I started omen reading and I started numerology after my boyfriend broke up with me. When I was 18, I dated a young man and I honestly thought that we were going to get married, but it was not God's will. And a short time after we broke up is when I started getting into this stuff. I was hurting. My heart was broken, I thought. And I felt lost. And I think the omen reading and the numerology made me feel closer to God. It made me feel more spiritual and it made me feel loved by God. And that's when I started to get involved in this stuff. When I started to get involved in it, I remember I started to feel so sad and so heavy. And I put it down to the breakup. And I believe that, yep, It was a really difficult breakup and it really hurt and I blamed my boyfriend for all of the things that happened. But to be honest, I truly believe now that it was because I was getting involved in this stuff. If I wasn't involved in this stuff, I would have hurt for a bit and then the Lord would have led me through that and it would have just been a lot more simple. But I remember I could no longer wear colors. I could no longer wear white. I could only wear black. Mm. And I thought I'm depressed because of the breakup. I also could not sleep in the dark anymore. I wasn't afraid of the dark. It wasn't that I thought there were monsters under my bed, but the dark is so strange, Sonia. The dark would suffocate me. As soon as I turned the light off, I could feel it. I could feel the darkness. Mm. It was almost like there was a blanket. On me and I felt like I was kind of suffocating. It was so heavy. And so I put Christmas lights in my room, dull Christmas lights, so that I didn't have to sleep in the dark. And I blamed my ex-boyfriend for all of this because I thought he had broken my heart and all of this was simply a consequence of his actions. Mm -hmm. But I truly believe now, looking back, that this had to do with some of the stuff, the dark stuff that I was getting involved in. I became increasingly angry. I was so angry. I was angry at my ex-boyfriend. I was angry at the world. I was just so angry. I remember just being so tired of this anger that one day I thought, I've tried everything to get rid of this anger. I'll try coughing it up. So I just started coughing to see if it would come up, and it didn't. And at this point, this is when things got really bad. I remember laying in bed one night, and there was a cupboard next to my bed, and I saw something on top of my cupboard, and I thought, what is that? And I thought, oh, what did I put up on top of my cupboard? And I looked up at it, and it moved, and it looked down at me, and I won't describe what I saw, but I screamed. I absolutely screamed and my parents came rushing into the room and from then on that happened regularly. It wasn't the same thing that I saw, but oh, there were so many times where I would be in my room. Sometimes I would wake up and I would see something. Sometimes I wouldn't even be asleep. I have heard of things like sleep paralysis where you are something to do with hormones or chemicals in your brain where you wake up and you you're paralyzed. Mm. And I've heard that people see things and can see some very scary things in sleep paralysis. This was not sleep paralysis. I could get up. I mm-hmm. could walk around. I could move. I could talk, but it just got to the point where I went to bed and I was thinking, "Well, what's going to turn up in my room tonight?" Mm. I did see a lot of things like snakes. One night there was something just right above my bed looking down at me. I didn't reach out to touch it, but if I did reach out, I could have touched it. it was that close. It was so horrible and it wasn't instantaneous either. Some of them lasted up to you know eight, nine, 10 seconds, which was so disturbing. And this all happened before we moved to Tasmania. And then when we moved to Tasmania, they still continued. and one night, this was the worst, Sonia. One night I the lights were on. I was in my bed and if I can remember correctly, I was reading and I rolled over to turn my light off and there was something climbing onto my bed Mm. and I screamed. I put the blanket over my head because I couldn't bear to look at it and I was kicking. I remember thinking, it's got my feet, it's got me and I was kicking and I was screaming and I was screaming, Jesus save me, Jesus save me. And my beautiful mom, she ran upstairs and she prayed with me and she laid down on the floor next to my bed because I couldn't go back to sleep on my own. And all of these things were happening and I thought this is a spiritual attack because I am so faithful and because I am so spiritual and because God and I are like two peas in a pod. I thought this was simply Satan trying to hurt me Mm -hmm. because I was so faithful. And looking back now, I can see it was simply because I was involved in things that I should not have been involved in. Mm -hmm. And no matter what I did, all of the binding and loosing, all of the things that I did to stop it from happening, nothing stopped it. I remember moving when we moved into our current home, I went through the house and anointed everything with oil and I prayed cleansing prayers over it and I bound anything that was demonic or you know anything that had happened in this house. I bound it in the name of Jesus and this house was going to be a temple of God. I did all of that. And then the next thing I what I do is I bring all these practices and beliefs into my home. Mm -hmm. So this was a natural consequence of what I was involved in. Yeah. This went on for maybe five or six years. Wow. It didn't happen every night. But it did get to the point where I thought, okay, what's going to turn up in my room tonight? As sad as it sounds, it got to the point where it stopped scaring me Hmm. because it was just so normal. Yeah, I didn't have any more of the really bad ones like I had that one night when I was reading, but they were still awful. Like it was still horrible. And at this point, at this point, I want to say this, God was still in control he was still there with me. And that night in my bedroom, when I cried out, Jesus, save me, Jesus, save me. Even though I had so many false beliefs and abominable practices, the real Jesus still saved me. Mm -hmm. He made it stop. Even though I was not putting my faith in him, he still made it stop. He still cared for me. And I say this, that God has a really good poker face. As all these things were happening, he was getting things ready and he was setting things up and he was going to get me out of it. And in 2020, it got to the point where it's time. God did what he had to do. And so what happened was he started giving me convictions, which I had never had before. So the numerology, you know how I said that I would use my washing machine one time I came into my laundry and there was 11 on my washing machine again. And I was like, wow, it's happening again, you know. And all of a sudden, I felt so embarrassed. I remember looking around the room thinking, I hope no one saw me thinking this. Hmm. I felt so embarrassed. And I thought, am I really using my washing machine to hear from God? And I was so embarrassed. And I thought, I'm going to stop this. And One of the so called prophets that I used to follow on Instagram, I would latch onto her prophecies. And every time she had something new, I would really look into it and just get so excited and think, wow, this is just for me. It's so in tune with my life. One of her prophecies came up on my Instagram page and I started reading through it. I got excited. And then all of a sudden, I felt, this is really repetitive. She seems to be saying the same thing in every prophecy. She just says the same words over and over again. And I prayed, Lord, is this really you? At this point, I had no idea that there is a YouTuber who actually does prophecy bingo where he pulls up all the different words that these false prophets use and he creates a bingo game out of them. I had no idea that this (laughs) existed, this existed. But finding the prophecy bingo videos confirmed that, yes, Lexi, it is really repetitive. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And this happened just before my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law started to have those really big theological conversations with us. Mm. So what happened was they came down, we started to have these big theological conversations and this is the point in my testimony that I hate talking about. There was a little girl in America whose parents were the worship leaders at a very big, very popular church. And she was about two years old and she died unexpectedly just before COVID and all of that hit. So this all happened in January, 2020. She had died in December. Mm -hmm. And the church that her parents were worship leaders at decided to hold resurrection events And so they would all get together. I didn't follow this. I found out about this later on. But they would hold resurrection events where everybody would come together and they would basically name and claim resurrection for this little girl. Before I had the big conversation with my in-laws, I saw a video and they were jumping up and down and they had this chant that they would say over and over again. And it was like declaring resurrection over this little girl. And I thought, wow, their faith seems to be really strong. And then a short time later, my in-laws and I were talking about this event. And I talked about this video that I saw. And my sister-in-law said, I think it was my sister-in-law. She said, wow, that sounds a bit like the prophets of Baal. And it was like this light bulb went on. And I thought, where in scripture do we see the apostles acting like this? Where do we see them jumping up and down? chanting, doing all of this to get God to do something. Mm -hmm. And you don't, they simply prayed. And this light bulb went on and it made me think the apostles didn't have to act like this to get God to do anything. And so through these conversations, there were more challenging things that came up that really just pricked my conscience that convicted me. And it was through these conversations and through some of the research that I started to do around this time that I found that there were actually labels to what I believed. Up to this point, I was just so super spiritual. There was no denomination that had my beliefs and I felt very exclusive. And there are denominations with these beliefs. There's the Word of Faith movement and there's the New Apostolic Reformation. And they held most of the beliefs that I had. And so I found out that I was not as special as I thought. And all of the answers came. With the Bible study I started doing and with some of the YouTube channels that I started watching and the research and the reading, there was just so much. Things started to fall into place and make sense. Mm. No wonder all my naming and claiming did nothing. There was one point where I bound North Korea. (laughs) Freedom upon North Korea. I did all of this. Mm and finding out that this was not true, this was not real. In many ways, it brought so much grief because it felt like my whole identity had been shaken, but it brought so much freedom because all of the doubts and confusion that I had been ignoring was gone. Things started to make sense. So a short time later, I needed to repent. I just felt like I have to repent. I need to be free. So I knelt beside my bed. And I repented. And it was so beautiful, Sonia. It felt like I was praying for the very first time because I wasn't declaring, I wasn't decreeing, I wasn't binding or loosing things in Jesus' name. I simply got on my knees and I said, Lord, I am so sorry for being deceived. And for the first time in my life, I said, Father, have mercy on me. And his face shone upon me. I felt such beautiful peace and it sounds so strange, but I felt that peace with God. I felt reconciled to God, and I knew that he was for me and that I was no longer his enemy. I no longer felt this disconnection. All of those spiritual practices and things that I did, it made me feel close to God. It made me feel special and loved by God. But what it was, it was really just driving me further away from God. But my repentance, my confession, my surrender, that changed everything. He gave me faith. He's the one that even gifted me with the repentance. And after that, all hideous things at night, all of that stopped. I slept so well. Deep sleep was restored and it was just so beautiful. And after that, the hunger for scripture, it was so intense. I was starving. No matter how much I studied and no matter how much I read, I just needed more. I wanted more and scripture became alive. I started memorizing scripture. I actually memorized the whole book of James. I I, I need to get back into revision I'm a little bit rusty, but I, I memorized the book of James and I wanted to be rebaptized. I didn't have a very good understanding of baptism back then. And so Taz baptized me on the beach in winter in Tasmania. Right. <laughs> it was so cold. But after that, I had this incredible sense of freedom. I felt free, I felt saved, and I felt reconciled to God. But there was also this intense grief. I felt like what I thought was real was not real. And I was zealous for a Jesus that was more in my imagination than in reality. I felt a loss of identity and that was really hard. So in some ways I became withdrawn and distant and I didn't really know what to do. How do I go forward with this newfound freedom? How do I go forward as someone with very different beliefs to what I had before? So I felt a bit of a loss of identity because I believed these things so zealously and if I felt any doubts, I just ignored them and I struggled to talk about it. I really struggled to talk about it with those who were closest to me. Words did not come out right and I didn't really know what to do. And this was the second big part of God's salvation plan for me. At the end of October in 2020, I felt this mix of both joy And grief. I was angry at the false teaching that I once believed. And I was also feeling a bit angry at the feelings of isolation. And I felt invisible that nobody could really see or understand what I was going through. Taz was walking alongside it with me, but I just felt very isolated from the people around me that I really loved. One night, I basically was talking to someone and they said something. It was very hurtful. Not necessarily because it was abusive or offensive, but it was just a remark. Somebody made a remark about my marriage and about me and I broke. I basically messaged those closest to me and I was so angry and it felt so strange because I had had this, I had been reconciled to God and I had this peace and this freedom But yet there was something else in me that he had to deal with, that he had to get out. And my family received these awful messages, these angry, broken messages from me. And they responded with such love. I had one of my brothers on the phone. Are you okay, Lexi? What is going on? Are you okay? And it's almost like they didn't even notice what I had done. Mm. They just jumped in and supported and loved me. And then I realized this is exactly what Jesus did for me. I had done all of these awful things against him. And yet he didn't look upon me and say, you're such a sinner. You'd need to clean up for me to love you and to save you. He just died on the cross. He did that for me 2,000 years before I would even sin against him. He was way ahead of me. <laughs> when I had that revelation of how Fast and deep and beautiful, the gospel was all of that anger that was inside of me, it just disappeared. And I felt so humble, and my love for mankind grew. I found that I became so much more patient with others because I was the worst of the sinners. Mm -hmm. I saw the ugliness that was in me. I could finally see just how sinful and ugly sin is. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just been so beautiful. And I think we need to get over the idea that once you're saved, once you repent, everything's better and that it's all good from there. No, the sanctification. It still keeps going. Yeah, thankfully. <laughs> yes. Some of this sanctification is very big and very heavy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's not until we realise how futile our attempts are and how how broken we are and how we really can't do any of it by ourselves, that's when you realize how much Jesus has done for
0: us. Yes, that's right. And finding great direction and comfort in the scriptures. There are times where I still feel very isolated and invisible because changing beliefs is hard mm-hmm. and people don't always have the same beliefs as you. And I remember at one time I I was driving to town, I had a friend on her deathbed and I was going to palliative care to go visit her. And I remember thinking, I feel so alone. I feel like this was before we started going to the Lutheran church and actually having a pastor over us. I just felt so alone. It's like, Lord, I just, I still don't really know what to do. How do I go forward with my faith? And I was listening to an audio Bible at the time and I rem- it was kind of dramatized with sounds and music and things in the background and different voice actors, even though it was word for word from the Bible, it was, they added all these things in it. And I remember listening to it. I was listening to Hebrews and the actor that was reading out Hebrews, he read it out as though he was talking to me. And I remember thinking, hold on, I'm not alone. I have my brothers. I have Peter and I have Paul and John and James. I have the prophets. I have Moses. I have writings from them. I have the epistles. And my brothers loved me. Like, even though Peter and Paul and John, even though they don't know I exist, and even though, you know, we lived thousands of years apart, they loved me because they loved the church. And I was a member of the body of Christ, of the church. And their letters were for me. And their guidance and their wisdom and the word of God, that was for me. And that day, the scriptures became mine and they became a source of great comfort. And even though I am still struggling with sin in many ways and I still hurt the people around me and I still hurt my family, I can still cling to the word of God and say, this is for me, this is mine. The Holy Spirit is infused in these scriptures. And it's changing me when I read it and when I memorize it. And the scriptures are a great source of comfort. So after that, you know, after all this happened, this was when we started to attend the Lutheran church. And I cried one day when we arrived. It was when we had left our dear family at the Pentecostal church. The Sunday after we left, I cried driving into the car park and I said to Taz, I'm free. I'm free. Mm. And then a short time after that, we were lying in bed one night and Tasman said to me, Lexi, I've got something to tell you. And I knew I knew it because I could always see him as being a pastor. <laughs> and he just said, How would you feel about me becoming a pastor? And that was it, you know. So yeah.
1: <laughs> Did you feel like learning to study scripture and learning what scripture says has helped you in your marriage as well? You said at the beginning that it was hard at first, Um, do you feel like that's helped?
0: Yes, absolutely. A lot of the spiritual differences that we had, you will find this funny, Sonia. So Taz did not believe that Satan or demons existed. Okay. So on one side, here he was denying that Satan existed, and here I was (laughs) binding and loosing every demon that I could get my hands on. <laughs> and um when I started to get involved with all of the numerology and omen reading and all of that kind of stuff, I didn't tell him, so I was hiding a lot of stuff from him. Mm-hmm. But when I repented, I didn't realize just how much my beliefs and my practices and my Gnosticism was affecting my marriage. Mm-hmm. And it's so beautiful, like we had both come from very different faiths, you could say. Yeah. And we met in the middle at the Lutheran Church. And it is so wonderful to be able to share the same faith with your husband. It's such a blessing. Yeah. Not every woman has that. What's beautiful is just in conclusion, I did not give Jesus permission to save me, but he still did. Hmm. And I've only just realized recently that I have never really rejoiced as much as I should in my salvation. We've had a really intense, you know, couple of years. This, this, all this happened in 2020. It's now 2023. The last couple of years have been really intense in the world, in our family and friends' circles. Like, just so much has happened. Yeah. And I haven't actually sat down and just completely rejoiced that God took me out of all of this. And if any of our listeners have family who are lost or involved in stuff, Just keep praying and pray your prayers with audacity and pray bold prayers. And if he can save me, the worst of sinners, when I think about it, I'm also the prodigal son's older brother. I thought I was so spiritual. I thought I was so faithful, but I wasn't. I was angry, lost, confused. And if he can save me, even though I looked great on the outside, and he can save anyone. (laughs) Amen.
1: Wow. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that story with us. Really an amazing testimony to God, really. (laughs) Thanks for coming on today and sharing your story with us.
0: Thank you for listening to the Here She Stands podcast. Next fortnight, we will be asking some very important questions about our Lutheran confessions. What are they exactly? What is their purpose? How do they apply to us today? Joining us all the way from the USA is Kim Pfeiffer. Kim is originally from Adelaide but moved to St. Louis in Missouri so both her and her husband, Josh, could study at Concordia Seminary. Kim will be answering all of our questions and sharing some great information about the Book of Concord. Don't forget to check out the show notes for information and links relating to today's episode. You can find Here She Stands on Facebook and Instagram or you can email us at heroshestands.podcast at gmail.com. If you would like to sign up to our newsletter, download our episode transcripts, or find out more about us, head on over to our website at stands.online. Until then, we pray that you will hold fast to God's word and confidently say, Here I stand, I can do no other.